Happy Wednesday night. For those of you who've been kind of hanging out with me over the last six months, you'll know we've been working our way through the original 1926 textbook of the science of mind. And specifically, we've been covering the parts that someone wickedly edited out of all subsequent versions. Um, and, and we've kind of talked our way through some of that. Some of it was edited out because it just didn't seem to fit in a spiritual book anymore. Some of it, I think, was edited out for no good reason whatsoever. And, uh, and tonight, we're going to talk about some that was edited out, I think, because it simply sounded too mystical. It was too difficult to explain what on earth he was even talking about. And so rather than have something in there that would befuddle and confuse, I think they just snipped it out. Let's just not worry about that. Not quite sure what it means, so let's take it out. And specifically his idea of atonement and the idea of the rapture ended up, uh, ended up on the editing room floor. I think, though, we're not afraid of mysticism here, right? So why not talk a little bit about it tonight? I think we're going to have fun. I also chose this for the last part of this segment on the Forbidden Ernest Holmes because I think it fits in with, uh, with what's coming up for us, the idea of the, the Christ consciousness being in the world, the idea of Christmas, and even beyond that, the idea of the new year resurrecting itself and what we can do, perhaps, to, to have our own rapture, our own uh, resurrection uh, into the following year. So I think we're going to have a little bit of fun tonight. Uh, first of all, though, you might wonder where this whole idea of the uh, rapture comes from. The word rapture is not actually found in the Bible anywhere, not even once. And yet, as you know, some, some Christian faiths uh, have kind of spun it into almost, uh, uh, I don't know what to call it, um, right? There's a movie about the rapture. There's a, um, a, a comic books about the rapture. There's a whole... No, honestly, it's, it's quite the thing, the idea that, that somehow the, at the end of days God will lift up all of the faithful uh, into heaven and, and leave behind the unworthy and unwashed to, to suffer some miserable consequences. But, but believe it or not, really none of that is in the Bible. Uh, in fact, what is there is in 1 Corinthians, and, and I'll read just a little bit of it to you. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. A little bit on the mystical side, right? Uh, hard to base a whole movie and, <laughs> and the idea of, uh, of the end of days based on those few uh, lines of scripture. And yet, I think it's interesting because what it really is talking about, I think on the metaphysical side, is the idea of becoming one with the Creator again. And whether you want to place that in the idea of the end of days or, or being lifted up into heaven, the idea nonetheless, I think, is that we do have those glimpses of what it is to really be in union with our Creator or to be in union with our idea of God or a higher power. And I'm sure we've all experienced it, haven't we? Haven't we all had one of those numinous moments when it's as though the light's dim and, and, and there's only you 
and something larger than yourself at hand, that sense of, uh, of true unity with something more powerful than yourself. Ernest Holmes certainly had such moments, and, and you may be aware that one was famously recorded. Have you all heard the story of Ernest Holmes dedicating the Whittier Church? L let me just digress a little bit, uh, because they even have managed to transcribe it. So, so in 1959, February 12th, Ernest Holmes was dedicating a, a new Science of Mind Church in Whittier, California. He came up to do one of those really boring talks about, you know, Bless the people who, you know, built this. Well, here, let me read it to you. And the first part of it is a little bit on the dry side. He says, we are here tonight to dedicate a church, a physical building. I think it's beautiful. I think it's wonderful. I think it's a miracle. But I know why it's here. It's here because you're here and because the consciousness of all you wonderful people has moved together. And what happened? Power. Like the weaving of a rope where one strand will hold no weight, but where many strands united will hold the terrific weight. We have yet to see what the multiple consciousness of an entire church body can really do if its members are properly trained. And he goes on and on. He says, I have had so much inward conviction about um, this this last year. There are so many wonderful religions in the world. And we are not better than the others. We are not more spiritual. We are not more evolved. We are not anything other than this one thing. And then uh, supposedly there was a bit of a pause. And the audi audience began wondering, well, like what's going on with uh, Ernest? Is he having a bad day? Or, um, you know, why, why the long pause? And supposedly his voice changed. And he goes on, we have co-joined our consciousness with the internal guarantee of the universe that the everlasting and eternal father of all life and the mother of all creation forever begetting the only begotten is begetting in us right now and that the word of our mouth is the word of truth in such degree as it emulates and embodies the truth which sanctifies the word to its unique service of healing we are dedicated to the concept that the pure in heart shall see god here and that the meek will inherit the earth now, and that one with truth is a majority, that every one of us in a secret place of the Most High, in the center of our own consciousness, has the secret of being one with the eternal, the everlasting, and the almighty. God and I are one, and I see him uniting in one great inner praise, one great union of effort, one crescendo of song, and one enveloping of light consciousness. And then he just supposedly stopped. There was a 12-second pause. Imagine, right? You're here to have a church dedicated, and the, the fellow who's dedicating it just stops for 12 seconds. And then he says, I see it. A 10-second pause. And he says, oh, God. Then he says, the veil is thin between us. Another pause, we do mingle with the hosts of heaven. Another long pause, he says, I see it. 
And then he simply leaves the podium and goes to take a chair in the sanctuary. He folds his arms, and on the way down, he says, I shall speak of it no more. (laughs) (laughs) So right there in Whittier, California in 1959, Ernest Holmes had his own little rapture going. And supposedly his driver in the car and, uh, and, and someone who came with him that day Uh, He really didn't want to talk about it. He simply had said that in that moment, he was one with his idea of the divine creator. He had had his rapturous moment. Now, I want to ask you, because I think we've all had a moment, maybe not that dramatic. You know, hopefully it wasn't like at work or when you were driving and it caused problems. But why don't we have that kind of rapture all the time? Why aren't we able to feel that close connection to something bigger than ourselves all the time? Well, Ernest Holmes' theory is an interesting one. He talks about the idea of atonement and the idea of sin, and not in the, not in the typical way that, that, uh, that Christians might talk to them. And I want to read to you just a little bit uh, from the Science of Mind textbook, one of the parts that was cut out. He talks about the unity of love and law produce a harmony. It produces one with the universe and a perfect creation. Humans, because of our individuality and the use that we make of it, may go contrary to both love and law, but so long as we do so, we will suffer. This is the meaning of sin and punishment. So sin and punishment simply just going against our own inner nature. Humanity has gone contrary to the law of harmony and love, and no doubt this is the reason for all our troubles. We will be saved to the degree that we return to a state of harmony and unity with God and with life. The greatest lesson that can be taught to the human race is the lesson of love and law. The lesson of love teaches us that life gives and that God is good, while the lesson of law teaches us that there is a way to freedom through real love. If love is the self-givingness of God, then we who who most completely love will most completely give of ourselves to life. The man who loves his work gives himself to it. The one who loves his art gives himself to it. We give ourselves to our friends and to our families and to the causes which we really love. Love is always about giving. And so this idea of, uh, of ceasing our, uh, our faulty behaviors and thoughts, this idea of atoning for our sins, if you will, is simply no more difficult or, or, or no, no harder than the idea of just aligning ourselves with that unity, of really asking ourselves, what would love do? And his example, I think, of giving ourselves over to love is the, the path that he is saying, that if we want to have more rapturous moments, if we want to have that tighter connection with God, if we want to feel that heaven is brought here onto earth, the recipe is simply to love more, simply to open up our hearts and do more of what love would do. Speak loving words, take actions that would bring about greater unity and love in the world. Simply do those things and be that person that ushers in love. 
So in 1959, when Ernest had his public moment of rapture, you know, a kindly gentleman near the end of his career, um, uh, we, we used to have someone that went to our church who actually had been in California, attended Founders Church, and said, you know, he was the jovial elder who played Santa at, at Christmas time. He was the, the person that just emanated love. And so perhaps not surprising, through his givingness, through, through his love, those rapturous moments were there for him to explore. So what's our recipe then? What can we do to bring more love into our own personal lives? How can we promote this idea of unity? I think it's time for, of course, my crazy joke. So when his ship stopped at a remote island for a day, a Christian bishop was determined to use the time as profitable as possible. He strolled along the seashore and came across three fishermen attending to their nets. In pidgin English, they tell him that several years before, missionaries had been there. We Christians, they said proudly. Well, the bishop was impressed. Did they know the Lord's Prayer? They'd never heard of it. Well, the bishop was shocked. What do you say then when you pray? We lift our eyes towards heaven, the fisherman began. We pray. We are three. You are three. All are one. Well, the bishop was appalled at this primitive and heretical nature of the prayer, so he spent the whole day teaching them the Lord's Prayer. Months later, his ship was sailing back again, and the bishop recalled the pleasure of the company of the three men on that distant island who were now able to pray effectively. Suddenly, on the horizon, he saw a spot of light, and the light kept approaching the ship. He gazed in wonder, seeing three glowing figures walking on the water. They were his fishermen. Bishop, they exclaimed, we heard your boat go past and have come in a hurry to meet you. We are so, so very sorry. We forget the lovely prayer. We say our Father in heaven, and then we forget. Please tell us the best prayer once again. Well, it was the chastened bishop who replied, the best prayer? We are three, you are three, all are one. And so the answer, I think, for our own personal rapture is going to be as unique as we are. There isn't a recipe for it. There isn't a formula of Hail Marys or the Lord's Prayer. Certainly we may find it. In fact, I suspect we will find it in some form of spiritual practice. That, that I think, after, after my gosh, how many years of, of prayer and meditation must Ernest Holmes have had throughout his lifetime, right? It's not surprising that when we find ourselves in prayer, um, when we are adept at meditation, that, that such moments of, of at-oneness, that such moments of closeness to God are close to us. But only you have the real recipe, only you have the real answer for what brings you closer to your form of God. One of the reasons that I love science of mind, one of the reasons that the Centers for Spiritual Living are so powerful, I think, is we have that freedom. We have that ability to explore all of the world's traditions and find out what's right for us. Is it meditation? Is it prayer? Is it service? You see, each one of us, I think, gets to make a plan 
for how we're to experience this rapture, how, how we do our little bit of bringing a greater heaven here on earth. And as we approach the end of this year, I have a little bit of homework assignment for you. Because I think the rapture comes in at a couple different levels. One level is just a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, asking ourselves of what would love do? How can I be of service to love in this day? And so when you come to a choice point, uh, not only this week, but any time when you come to a choice point, a choice point, I think it's appropriate to ask, what would love do? What would, what would Larry, what would I do acting on behalf of love do in this situation? That, I think, is that most mystical way and yet that most straightforward way of experiencing oneness with the divine because you're acting as the divine would act you're acting on behalf of love in the world but my, the other part the more difficult perhaps part uh, of your homework assignment is how would you like to experience your own personal rapture your own personal rebirth if you will in this coming year is there something that you're called to do is there some new spiritual practice that you're called to do is there some new course of action or course of being and you know for some of us it may be more of a letting go of than a something new could there be something in your life right now that's preventing you from experiencing more love more life more unity with spirit Have we picked up some bad habits this year or the year before? Have we picked up ways of doing? uh, Have we, uh, I I remember when I used to work at the telephone company, we used to get together, um, we used to get together on all our breaks and just mercilessly gossip about other people. (laughs) And I still think that was one of the things that really kept me from a greater awareness of love in the world, right? Because there for little breaks and, and minutes of the day, what we were doing on purpose, we were spewing out anti-love. Do you know what I mean? That idea of just idly kind of running people down as though somehow it's fun or a good thing to do. And there are any number of small, weird little habits like that that, we think, that I think that we do. One of them is negative self-talk. Maybe it's time that instead of belittling ourselves in our minds and even verbally out there, right, denying little compliments, telling people that you're not as good as certainly in the divine scheme of things you are, when we have these little habits that aren't about love, that are quite the reverse, we're simply shutting off, I think, that ability to find that at-oneness that idea of rapture, that idea of having more of God right here on earth. No need to wait for the the second coming or or a, a, a rapturing of the whole planet. I think we pass up our own ability to have that close connection to God when we do the opposite of love. And it may take the form of gossip, it may take the form of judgment, it may take the form of self-criticism, it may take the form of bickering with friends and family. Um, But whatever those bad habits that perhaps we've gotten into, maybe it's time to take another look at that. Maybe it's time to, to give up some of those so that we might gain something for ourselves even more precious, something more powerful for this coming year. So Ernest Holmes takes the word atonement and breaks it up into three syllables. And, and, and all of this, uh, of course, cut from, from the book. He calls it at one moment. 
that as we change our ways, our, our changing of the ways, if you will, is, is leaving behind some of those bad habits that no longer serve us. And that is all we have to do to atone, is just to stop. There's no divine uh, punishment or, or divine activity we have to do to get beyond our so-called sins other than just stopping them. And then instantly we move into that state of grace once again. Instantly we're opening our heart to something bigger than what was there before. So as we, as we clear the deck, so to speak, we allow our hearts truly to open and to experience something greater, something more powerful. So the idea of atonement, he calls it at one moment. That as we let go of the things that no longer serve, we become more at one with the divine. I'm going to close tonight with another quote, a final quote from this book. But again, uh, to summarize, if we want more rapture in our own life, if we want to feel that closer connection with God, it's simply unity at its heart. It is simply that ability to let go of anything that would tend to divide us from our fellows, to divide us from uh, life, anything that keeps us separate from other people, other places, any other, other ways of being where we judge others, where we find fault with ourselves and others. When we stop doing those things, then we experience at one moment. The world has learned all that it should through suffering. God does not demand that anyone suffer. And we suffer simply because we are ignorant of our own nature and because we misuse our own power. Jesus proved the truth and departed this life in joy, having fulfilled his divine mission. The lesson has been taught and the evidence is complete. The grave has been swallowed up in the victory of life and love, and the tomb is now empty for all time. The vicarious atonement is over, but the real at-one-ment has only begun. We are just beginning to realize what love and life can do for us. Every time we give of ourselves to others, every time we love others, Every time we help them to overcome their troubles, we are performing an at-one-ment. We are proving the unity of God. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. I call it God, but, but my gosh, it goes by so many names. Allah, Spirit, the Divine Feminine, Allah. This thing, this one thing, encompasses all. Every person, every place, everything, every situation, seen and unseen, God is simply all there is. There is a unity of all things, and I accept that unity in my own heart. I put aside ways of being and thoughts that might separate me from my fellow humans. I put aside things such as jealousy, things such as judgment, things that would keep me from exploring myself as one with all creation. And instead, on this day, I accept life as it comes. I recognize that my life is part of the one life. 
that my consciousness is part of God's consciousness. That the love that I so seek must be given freely for it to be really felt in my own heart. This is life. This is God. This is love. And as it is true for me, I know it is true without question for each person in this room. Each person here is part of the divine. There's no escaping it. It's, it's almost like a definition. Each person here, part of God. The consciousness of each person here is part of God's consciousness. The love, the light, the joy, the peace that we so desire is God moving through us as we allow it. And so for each person here, I, I claim perhaps a willingness in this coming year to put aside things that might keep us from truly being risen up, from truly experiencing that, that rapture of life, that oneness with spirit. And I also know for each person here, there is that capability of simply asking, what would love do? What would love do? And for this, I'm eternally grateful. For this, gratitude wells up in my heart as I see the entire planet enraptured. The entire planet at one. And so I release this prayer. I release it into the, the power of God itself, into that God that always says yes, into that power and presence of the one. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And happy holidays, everyone. So glad you were here.